1: We, Englewood Church, have been exploring those first few lines of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which you can go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But just those first blessings, which we know as the Beatitudes. And this morning finds us arriving at Blessed are the Merciful. And to help us understand what Jesus means by that, we're going to explore not just that single line Blessed are the Merciful, for they will find mercy, but also a story that Jesus told about what it looks like to be merciful. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, your invitation is, as always, good and challenging. And we ask, Lord Jesus, you would open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to your invitation into mercy, that we would look and sound and feel and be more like you we pray jesus in your merciful name amen
0: today's reading comes from matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 7 now when jesus saw the crowds he went up to the mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him he began to teach them he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Today's scripture reading is Matthew eighteen twenty-one through 35. When Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus replied, 70 times 7. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owned 10,000 talents. He couldn't pay, so the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and begged him, "O sir, be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then the king was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servants fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and jailed until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him what had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart.
1: Peter thinks he's being so generous here, which is very much like Peter. And Peter speaks up first, which is very much like Peter. Jesus and the disciples have been in this conversation which has led naturally to the topic of forgiveness and Peter asked the question which is really everybody's question at this point how merciful do I really need to be especially if the other person just isn't very you know forgivable and so he asked this question how often must I forgive? Because the other rabbis, the other teachers, would have said three times, at least three times, even for the really big sins, three times. Forgive three times. And Peter knows that Jesus is really into this forgiveness thing, and so Peter takes a shot at just, you know, kind of guessing where Jesus is going to land. Do I need to forgive seven times? And of course, Jesus' answer is very much like Jesus. He just chucks out Peter's whole set of presuppositions and says, no, In fact, you should forgive 70 times 7, at which point, 490 times, you're going to lose track of the amount of forgiveness that you have offered, which is the point. To lose track of how merciful you are is exactly what Jesus is inviting us into here. We continue this week listening in on the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples and also with the crowds there on the side of a mountain, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and you can go read it in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and encourage you to go do that. But we're focusing this spring here in April, May, and June on those first pronouncements of blessing that Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who know they don't bring God anything that God doesn't already have. That in fact, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who understand their poverty, understand their need of God. And that those who find the deepest comfort are precisely those who grieve most the hurts of the world, their own and those of others. That the meek, Those who use their strength gently and generously are the ones who inherit the earth, not those who try to grab everything for themselves. And last week we found that the ones who will be filled are not the righteous (laughs) or those who think they are, but those who will be filled are those who are hungry and thirsty for a righteousness they do not have yet. And notice that at every step, God is out to build our character more even than what we do. God is transforming who we are, even more than our particular actions. And this week we come to blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So right there, we get a lot of our questions answered. What does it mean to be merciful? Well, so the, uh, you know, the barista who gets your coffee order wrong, again, forgive, which doesn't mean you don't necessarily go and find a different place to get coffee, but you, you forgive. You treat him well. Your son who wrecks the car, again, you forgive him. Now there will be consequences because you love him, but you forgive. You don't take out your wrath and your vengeance. Even though, yeah, he, you know, needs to learn a lesson. We are to be merciful the way our Father in heaven is merciful. We are to forgive and forgive a lot. To turn back to Peter's question just for a bit, if Jesus' first answer to Peter is essentially, forgive so much that you just lose track of forgiving his second answer as he tells this story, Jesus' parable points us towards an infinite forgiveness. And now the basic point of the story is clear enough. One guy owed tons, another guy owed not very much, but a couple of particular facts are going to really help us here, and that is in the Greek language they did not have a word for trillion. They did not have a word for billion. Uh, The Greek language of the time didn't have a word for million. They didn't even have a word for 100,000. The single largest unit of measurement in the vocabulary of the time was 10,000, myriad. And similarly, in the monetary system of the time, the single largest unit of measurement is how money was weighed out, literally, was talent. Which, depending on time period and who's talking, is somewhere between 75 to 100 pounds of whatever precious metal you're weighing out at the moment. 75 to 100 pounds of gold? To have talent, 10,000 talents. Jesus might as well have said this Poor incompetent, hapless slave owed zillions to his lord it 's just a phenomenally ridiculous amount of money that's involved here right this this guy, if he's a regular working guy, which apparently he's not because he owes this amount of money, but the rest of us would take about 20 years of work to earn one talent. So if this guy owes 10,000 talents, he's in for approximately 200,000 years of work if he has it all to pay back to the king and doesn't have any living expenses. Uh, and And on the king's side, really, even if he does sell this guy and his family into slavery, which was a thing back in the ancient world, That's going to net approximately one talent with 9,999 left to owe. It's just scholars actually have a really hard time with this because it's just such an immense amount of money. Uh, there's a data point that I found really, really helpful in this, actually, that um, in one of the years that we actually have tax records for, back in the ancient world, the combined tax revenue to the Roman Empire for the districts of both Galilee and Perea, uh, again, early in Jesus' childhood, was approximately 200 talents, which means if you could take all of the tax revenue from to you know, not the poorest of provinces and, you know, pay it back. It's going to take 50 years of tax revenue to pay this one guy's debt back. It's an infinite debt. It's not going to get paid back. And yet the king forgives. The king matches an infinite debt with an infinite mercy and lets this guy go free. For a story of mercy in modern literature it's really hard to beat Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. Uh, It's of course the famous musical and many of you will have seen that or at least heard the soundtrack and some of you will have seen the movie or indeed read the book. But my favorite character in Les Miserables is the bishop when we meet him in the story. He uh, is an amazingly generous man, and he has indeed given away his mansion, traded it with the hospital that had been in a much smaller building next door, and he takes the smaller building that had been a a small hospital clinic, and the hospital now gets the grand bishop's residence. He constantly is giving away money and possessions, uh, much to the frustration of his sister. Uh, In fact, she uh, ongoingly through the book keeps finding these ways for him to make a little extra money and he keeps giving them away but there are a couple things that he has held on to over the years namely a pair of silver candlesticks and a set of silver uh, silverware for din- you know dinner plateware that will feed six and in fact he remarks to his sister on several occasions while they're at dinner and he you know is looking at a spoon and just it would be hard for me to give up eating with silver. If you know the story, you know what happens next. Into this town arrives the paroled convict, Jean Valjean, and true to form, the bishop welcomes him home for the night, gives him a place to stay, feeds him a lovely dinner, and promises to meet with him in the morning. But Jean Valjean, having experienced 19 years of unjust, hard labor. Conditioned by that experience, gets up in the middle of the night, takes the silverware and heads off. Now, some attentive police folks in the town notice this paroled convict with lots of silver in his bag and not believing his story that the bishop had given him the silver, frog march him back to the bishop's residence. Whereupon though, when the bishop sees them at the door, advances, Victor Hugo tells us, as fast as his great age would allow him, takes the two candlesticks from the table and hand them to the astonished Jean Valjean, saying, Ah, oh, friend, so good of you to come back. I, why didn't you take the candlesticks as well? They are silver like the rest and would have given you at least 200 francs. Now, The bishop, of course, had not given Jean Valjean the silver. But the police believe the story and leave Jean Valjean standing in the bishop's doorway, shaking, not knowing what's going to happen next. At which point the bishop steps forward and in a low voice whispers to the astonished Jean Valjean, never forget, you have promised me to use this silver, to become an honest man. Now, of course, Jean Valjean has made no such promise to the bishop, but that is in fact what he does. As the story continues, Jean Valjean does indeed take this opportunity to get a new start on life, to become an honest man. Having received mercy from the bishop, he turns, and extends mercy to others, using his resources justly and generously to provide for thousands. In Jesus' parable, of course, the unmerciful servant takes the exact opposite course from Jean Valjean. He walks out of the palace, the throne room, having received this infinite mercy from his king, goes across the street, and demands repayment from someone who owes him not that much. A hundred denarii is approximately, you know, say two or three months wages. So, what, four, five, six thousand dollars? Not nothing, but definitely payable. And instead of giving this other man the mercy that he has received, the unmerciful servant grabs him by the throat and demands repayment and throws the guy into debtor's prison, enslaves them until he gets a few thousand bucks back. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us what this guy's motivations are. There's no comment made, but I think we're allowed to guess. And while yes, the guy may just be a jerk, that's possible. I, I wonder, I wonder though, if this man didn't actually recognize the king's actions as mercy. I wonder if this man, in his wild imagination, a little untethered from reality as it is, I wonder if he thinks he's actually going to be able to pay some meaningful amount of this debt back. I wonder if this guy still daydreams that somehow he's going to hard, you know, work hard, and get stuff done, and collect some debts, and, What's going to keep him out of prison is somehow his ability to get some money to the king rather than what's going to keep him out of prison is his Lord's infinite mercy. (laughs) See, his actions are consistent with the idea that he still thinks it's up to him to pay back this debt when it's really his king's mercy, but friends, So will every one of us do if we have not received in our hearts, the mercy of God for our debt. Precisely to the extent that we think we have received mercy, we will be able to give it away to others. And precisely to the extent that we think we still are going to be able to pay God back. We, simply won't be merciful people. Now, we may not be so physically and verbally abusive to other people, right? We may not grab people by the throat like like this guy did, but unless we live with a consciousness that we have been freed and forgiven, we will not be able to let go of the need to make that other person pay for what they have done and how they have wronged us and don't they understand because friends the reality is we don't understand and god has forgiven us and that person doesn't understand and we can forgive them See, it's only after we come to understand that we really do owe God an infinite debt we can't possibly repay, we can't possibly be good enough, or make it up, or do anything, and that the slate has been wiped clean. Then, having received mercy, we can give mercy. Jesus will do anything to open us up to our own need for him, to see that not only is he creator and maker and sustainer of all, but he loves and delights in us and forgives us. Jesus coming to be human with us is all about showing us, not in the first instance, what we should do, not just in the first instance to, to be our example, although that's part of it, but more than that, to communicate to us through our thick heads and hard hearts who he is and what he has already done for us. You see, Jesus' coming shows us that not only is God a king who loves and forgives, but in Jesus we see that God is a king who loves and forgives an infinite debt at infinite cost to Himself, (laughs) and not even just an economic debt or indeed a physical debt. When we see Jesus in His birth, His life, His ministry, and yes His death on the cross, it's not just the physical pain of the cross, but the physical pain on the cross points to the depths of the emotional and relational cost to Jesus, losing in that moment his connection to the Father so that we could be connected to the Father again. Everything God does in our lives is to bring us to the point to see our need for God himself, to see our need of Jesus, to see our need of being forgiven our infinite debt and actually living free. And then in response to that, becoming like the God who has saved us, merciful as he is merciful, and in return receiving still more mercy. So, uh, you know, this week, does every person on social media really need to be answered? What if we showed mercy and just let it go? Or better yet, found a way to reach out with kindness rather than answering them in their own frustration or anger? What if we knocked off our own whining about our situation and recognized the ways that we have been given mercy and respond with kindness to the frustrations of daily life? What if we at a restaurant gave a merciful tip? Maybe he's just having a bad day. Maybe it doesn't really matter. What if we were just kind because we have received infinite mercy from our Lord Jesus himself? What if there's a person in our neighborhood or in our church community or at work who no, they don't deserve it? Look, if they deserved to be helped out, it wouldn't be mercy, it would be justice. But what if we stepped in anyway and gave sacrificially to meet a need, undeserved as it may be. Then we would discover the truth of Jesus' invitation here, the invitation into a beautiful life, that it's as we begin to live out the mercy we've received from God that we then are blessed and find still more mercy. May this be true of us this week and the rest of our lives. Amen.